Hey, welcome back to the Graduate SciComm podcast. I am one of your hosts, Trinity. I am joined by two of our other hosts today. We have Al. Good eye. <laughs> what a nerd. And we also have Kathleen, the ever lovely Kathleen. Hello, everybody. <laughs> All right. So, um, once again, we are trying to explain science straight from the horse's mouth. So, we're going to be talking to scientists about their research, and we're trying to do it in the most hilarious, simple to understand way possible because we get it. Science uses a ton of words that are overly complicated and are just gross. So in that spirit, we are going to continue to call each other out when we do really sciencey words by saying moo. Yeah, because it's just, it's too much. And we scientists are often very confused when other people use the super sciencey words and we get lost and communication is important. So we're just going to keep everything as simple as possible because our goal here is communication and fun. And I think we have um, a little bit of housekeeping to do from the last episode. Something about alligators and crocodiles. What do you got, Kathleen? Yeah, absolutely. So Evan, in episode one, he was talking about his salamander newts. And he said the phrase, newts are to salamanders what tortoises are to turtles and what alligators are to crocodiles. Now, my brother said, hey, 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 hold on a minute. This implies that alligators are a type of crocodile. Now, just to be completely correct, let's just break it down. Alligators are not a type of true crocodiles that live in Australia. They are both separate families that are made up of the order of crocodiliads. And so technically the order of crocodiliads could also be quoted as crocodiles, but true living crocodiles exist in Australia and alligators are a separate family of them. So they're all combo a group of crocodiliads, but alligators are different from true crocodiles. So that's cool. To make things confusing. Yep. Um, so that's taxonomy and taxonomy. Yeah. Taxonomy is super confusing and, um, it's, which is really ironic because it's trying to create order in something that is already very confusing. Um, and just how things are related to each other and what is what kind of thing trying to put things in boxes, but it doesn't quite work super well. And it's, just different than how we think of them. And that's fine as scientists and as human beings, we're always on a journey of learning. So um, it's okay to be wrong as long as you are open to being corrected. And we try to do that here, both in our podcast and in our lives as well. Yes. It got really deep. Um, (laughs) Anyways, we're going to play a little game really fast. We're going to read some titles of some research papers And we're going to guess kind of what that paper could possibly be about. Kathleen, do you want to go first? Yeah, this is really important because the papers all relate to the subject of the current episode that you're listening to. So it's a way for you to kind of guess what the episode is all about. Um, So let's first start. Why don't you read the one that you had? Okay. Pull it out from your thesis. (laughs) <laughs> yep. Okay, so this is a paper that was published in 2009, and it is entitled Spatial Temporal Patterns in Mediterranean Carnivore Road Casualties, Consequences for Mitigation. Yeah, road casualties. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Al, what do you think it's about? 
Uh, I'm is thinking... It, wait, wait, is it about the animal hitting humans? Uh, I mean, they're not punching them, if that's what you mean. Okay. Yep. Um. Casualty. <laughs> Casualty. Yeah, so... Casualty doesn't necessarily... Does it always mean that they're, that that animal is dead? Yeah. It does. Okay, so it's about dead animals. Yeah, it's about dead animals. Um, okay. Specifically carnivores, which are the meat eaters. Okay. Right. In the and Mediterranean? They only eat meat. Yeah, in the Medi- not the ocean, but the Mediterranean area. The land. So, like, um, yeah, so not the ocean. So what are they like? Are they like British uh, vacationers that come down? They're kind of a carnivore. The Mediterranean is not next to Britain. Doesn't, yeah, it's close. It's close. That's what I said, vac- holiday, va- vacationers. They might come. They might eat animals or get hit by cars. I don't know. Okay, so my guess is that it's about Greeks and Italians. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah. That's the Mediterranean that are on the side of the road or that are on the road and that hit carnivores. Does it yeah. also include humans that only eat meat? No, it does not include human beings. Okay. You were really close. Um, let's try another title for fun. Do you want me to explain what the paper is really about? Not yet. No, we'll get to it. We'll, we'll get to it. It's fine. Okay. We'll get to the general. Okay. All right. Next one. How long do the dead survive on the road? <laughs> so this is like, it's got to be Walking Dead, right? This is like something yeah, related that's to Yeah, that's 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's my thought. Um, but then it actually has a subtitle. Get this. Carcass persistence, probability, and implications for roadkill monitoring surveys. That's so right brain and left brain. Yeah, it really is. Pretty title. And then we had... Roadkill. Yeah, roadkill. <laughs> yeah, so I think we're getting two sides of the story. One tried to make it romanticized, and then another one just trying to just science the words out of whatever they're doing. I think roadkill is a keyword in there. So keyword means just a word that can indicate a lot of what's going on in that paper. So it's got to do with people that are walking that are half dead and that find roadkill. Or, or it's or? about roadkill, just straight up roadkill. Both papers, straight up roadkill. Both papers talking about roadkill cafe. <laughs> Let's scrape those bad Jacksons off the road. Let's eat them. Perhaps is it about food? Um, it. There are some papers that are about food, but these ones. Yep, actually, that last one does involve food, nice. but not necessarily human food. Oh, oh, necessarily. Oh, 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 okay, okay. All right, do you want to, Trinity, give us an idea of what you're actually going to be talking about today? Okay, so I'm going to be talking about um, dead things and where to find them. Um, (laughs) Actually, I'm going to be talking about wildlife road mortality, which means that I'm going to be talking about animals that were hit by cars on the road and what that means for conservation because it it sounds really weird and a lot of times when i talk to people about it they're like what do you mean you look at roadkill that's gross that's really depressing or they're like what does that have to do with conservation and um it has a lot to do with conservation actually um any guesses why um if you find it close if you find it close enough after it's being hit you can conserve it for dinner later (laughs) 
I mean, true, you could conserve it for dinner, but yeah. in most states, you actually need a license to do that. So do you have do your you? license, sir, or are you breaking the law? Which, uh, which department do you go to for that? Is that the DMV as well? <laughs> Hello, I'd like <laughs> to apply for the uh, roadkill license. Uh, can you I put that? I think it's fish and wildlife. Oh, okay. Like it's a hunting license almost. Really? Yeah. Quite fast. Yeah, this um, is not a joke, actually. I just Google searched about roadkill some more, and some titles came up for news articles. Why eating roadkill makes roads safer for people and animals. Another one. California, waste not, want not bill would make eating roadkill legal. Yep. Well then, um, waste not, want not. I don't know who was going to stop you before. Other yeah. than maybe your body, if the, it was too old and kind of rotten <laughs> and it had some sort of funk in it. Um, <laughs> yeah. You, have you seen some funky stuff, Trin? Oh, my gosh. Let me tell you, I have yeah. seen things. You have seen things. I thing. have I'm... seen things. So is it, it, is it safe to introduce this, uh, this as like something that's really special, near and dear to your heart, perhaps? It is. It is actually, um, which is weird. I didn't, I didn't think I was going to end up loving it as much as I did, but, um, through the research process, you kind of end up romancing whatever it is that you are working on so that you can continue working on it without losing your mind. And, um, whatever it is, it could be like the most beautiful bird in the world, but you still have to romanticize it. Otherwise you're going to lose your mind. Cause it's, it's true. You know, one thing for several, several years, just like, so I, I actually really enjoy roadkill. I still look at, uh, for roadkill. Um, it's forever changed my life. If I ever have children, I'll probably teach them to look and identify roadkill as we're driving past it on the road. No joke. Good idea. Yeah, they live it. Um, and I can, I'm really good at identifying roadkill. Um, because believe it or not, it's actually really difficult because, um, the body, the bodies get really, really smushed. And, um, sometimes I'm just looking at a smear and I have to tell what it is by the kind of fur that it has or the kind of scales or, um, even its feet, which is really interesting. Interesting. No, it, yeah, I can't tell you how many possums and, um, raccoons I've had to differentiate from each other based on the feet. Wow. You should start a channel where people just send you pictures of roadkill and, and you should just spend your time trying to identify what they are based on the picture. Is there money in that though? <laughs> there could be. I you mean, could start an app. Oh, true. So, okay. So Trent, so tell us a little bit about the research then. So what was it like? What, what, what did you have to do to study roadkill? Did you have to run things over? Oh my gosh. No, but I did do that one time on accident. Wait, what? Um, yeah. <laughs> but not while you were working. Not while you were working. It was just an undergraduate intern, everybody. Don't worry. It was just an undergraduate. <laughs> no, uh, no Avons are hurt in the making of that moment, but Avon was there. I happened to be driving and a, um, a bird, Bob White Quail, so it's this little bird that normally runs on the ground, but then sometimes makes really poor decisions and flies in front of cars. And it flew in front of the truck that I was driving, and it died and became part of the data set. <laughs> um, yep, it was just chilling on the side of the road, and it was with, uh, it was a female, and it was with a male, and I was, it was on the side of the road. It was safe. All it had to do was stay still, but it flipped out and flew in front. I can imagine our advisor saying, "Data is the only thing that matters." <laughs> he laughed when I told him, I think. Um, 
any means necessary. <laughs> exactly. But I will say that scientists generally don't go adding to their data set like that. That was an accident. <laughs> um, and I did not mark it as a, I asked, I marked it as an incidental so that it wasn't like officially part of the survey, but it was still recorded because I felt that that was unfair to the, to the science. Um, but anyways. Yeah. Plus, plus anyways, I mean, when you are looking for roadkill, as you'll probably explain in a, in a bit, you are driving a lot slower than most cars would on the highway. Oh yeah. And so the speed would completely change and would change your data set as well. Yes, it would. So, um, let's talk about how I collected data really quickly. Uh, most of us have probably driven a car before and most of us have probably seen roadkill on the road, unless you live in the city and then this is a totally new thing to you. Things get killed by cars when they get hit by them on the road. And, uh, it happens a lot, especially in, uh, neighborhoods and more, uh, rural areas or a place that there's like agriculture, um, or just the straight up woods or the Monte, as we referred to it in South Texas. Um, so we would, I would drove a truck, um, a really big truck because it's research. So obviously we needed a large truck to pick up, mind you. I mean, it is Texas. It's Texas. It, it was Texas. Texas. So it was research. We needed a pickup truck. It was white and it was not my favorite brand of pickup truck. It's fine. Um, that's probably why we got stuck a couple times. And you just had to ram that one in, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> Please sponsor us. <laughs> I would drive <laughs> um, 40 miles an hour normally, which is lower than all of the speed limits for the road, with the exception of... Nope, nope. It's lower than all of the speed limits on all of the roads that I surveyed. And um, so we would drive in the right lane, and we had this flashing light on so that people knew that we were doing something different than just actually trying to get somewhere. We were like lollygagging. We we're out for a Sunday drive, but any day of the week, really, we did have a set day of the week, but it was normally like a Monday or like a Thursday for whatever reason. And whenever we would see a roadkill, we would pull over to the sa the closest safest position on the road. Cause we we're in some really, really fast highways like that had 70 mile an hour speed limits. So you kind of had to be really careful about where you pulled over. Did you guys wear cutoff jeans at any point in time and uh, and cowboy boots? Absolutely not. Um, we wore long pants and closed-toed shoes, and we had a reflective vest on and a hard hat just in case, you know, a car fell on us. Were mullets optional? Yeah, mullets are optional. Okay, cool. I, I did not normally wear mine in a, my hair in a mullet. I normally had a ponytail. Okay. Um, <clears throat> sometimes a top knot was used by um, other people and then of course other people just had wild hair because they were wild men Okay. that mullets. we just found and were yeah mullets so um, <laughs> thanks Miles <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be so mad at me um, <laughs> <clears throat> so we'd get out and we would take pictures of the roadkill and, and mark a Mark with a GPS, which is a global positioning device, um, system device. And it would mark the geographic location exactly where that um, roadkill was so that I could do complicated math on it later. We would look at it, identify what species it was, then write it down, get back in the car, 
and drive until we found another one. And that's what we did for uh, certain sections of four different roads in South Texas. How many how many months of data did you collect for your research? Oh, I personally collected, um, I think, like two years, about a little over a year for my for my thesis data. I collected a little bit over a year, and then I had um, essentially like a year and a half's worth of data that was previously collected by Texas Department of Transportation, which is where we got our funding. And they had done a, a study similar to ours before, so they let me use the data so that it could be analyzed and some information could be gleaned from it. And that's what I did. That's awesome. Yeah. What were some of the things that you found? So, so, so many Virginia possums. So many possums just everywhere. Lots of raccoons, quite a few Texas tortoises which are really cute, and I always got kind of upset because I'm a little too attached to them. Um, quite a few domesticated animals, like cats and dogs, some of which were obviously someone's pet, some of them were not. Did you ever have to call the owners? Uh, no. I never called, I never called the owners about it because normally the dogs were in a residential area, ah. so I figured that they would find out soon enough. Right. Do you think it would have been better to have learned about your dog from an impartial scientist or driving by? That's terrible. That's a terrible question. A terrible question. <laughs> it is awful. Yeah. No, I, I was just going to leave that there because I was like, yeah. well, that sucks a lot yeah. and I'm going to make it worse. Undoubtedly. So how many do you think you saw in the time that like, People's pets, specifically. People's pets, specifically. Um, not that many. It was probably like three. Oh, okay. Oh, that's not bad at all. Um, unless they just didn't have collars on, which is super possible because in South Texas, not everyone puts collars on their pets. It's true. I mean, a lot of people just don't put collars on their pets anyways, but there were like three that had collars. Did you ever uh, find some endangered animals or threat animals? Yes. The reason that we started this project was to uh, study ocelot mortality. Fortunately um, for the ocelot, we did not have any ocelot deaths on the roads that we were uh, surveying during my time on the project. But we did have some other threatened or um, species of conservation concern that we found. So one of those is the long, the uh, long-tailed weasel which is a very cute thing that looks like, I mean, a weasel and a ferret are really, really closely related. So um, <clears throat> if you've ever seen a ferret, it's a little bit like that, only it's brown and it's got kind of like a little black mask and a long tail on it, hence the name long-tailed weasel. So we um, found quite a few of those. Not quite enough to do statistics on, but enough to make me feel sad. And uh, <laughs> We found green jays, which are uh, a somewhat rare and protected bird species, and they are related to blue jays, but they're green, believe it or not. And Hence the name, folks. We were talking about taxonomy <laughs> earlier. This makes it easier on us, but then also sometimes harder. Yeah, it's, it's a struggle bus. Um, it's a fleet of struggle buses. But yeah, we also found, so I mentioned the Texas tortoise earlier. So the Texas tortoise is a uh, 
threatened species in Texas and it's protected. So it's illegal to kill one on purpose or have one as a pet. Who threatened it? Who threatened it? People. People? What did people do? People did. So they started developing a lot of the places that the tortoises like to live. So they have lost a ton of their habitat. Habitat loss is the number one risk for any endangered or threatened species, any rare species. It's normally because they have lost their homes. They don't have places to live anymore or they have just... I mean, this is specifically for terrestrial animals, right? No, I would say I would say probably for marine mammals or animals too, excuse me. Okay. So for terrestrial animals, we'll say we'll talk about the fish another time. I'll have lots of questions because I don't understand it. Um, <laughs> and they also get hit by cars because they are uh, tortoises, so they can't run very, very fast. <laughs> turns out. It turns out. Um, and they also crawl back. They like hide in their shells when they are frightened or scared by something which normally works really well if it's, um, you know, a coyote or an ocelot that's trying to eat them or a bobcat, more likely. I do that sometimes. Oh, my gosh. It doesn't work really well if the thing that you're hiding from is a one-ton car because it's going to still crush you and run you over. Um. So anyways, that's one of the reasons that I have a bumper sticker on my vehicle that says, I break for tortoises. Right on. No lie. It's on there. And if you have a problem, um, don't at me because I'm not going to listen to you. So Pass her on the left because she's certainly in the right lane. I am in the right lane. Anywho. How, does, how do roads affect habitat? So with where you were looking at, tell us about a little bit about the habitat that you were working with. South Texas is really unique. It's a totally weird place. I love it. It's so unique, so so very special, and it became very, very dear to my heart um, because of all of the fun experiences I had and all of the wonderful people in South Texas. You're welcome. <laughs> You're not in South Texas. You're welcome. <laughs> I was really talking about some locals, but that's fine. South Texas is semi-arid, which means that it doesn't rain a whole lot, especially in comparison to anywhere in Florida, which is where I'm from, which is where it rains like every other day, if not every day, all the time. And um, I live next to a literal swamp. So it was very weird for me. It's very dry. I, yeah, no, it's a literal, it's a literal swamp. We're not talking about the government. We're talking about <laughs> an actual swamp <laughs> with water moccasins and alligators and stuff. Still not talking about the government. No. Not the government. The habitat that a lot of conservation efforts are targeted towards in South Texas is something called thorn scrub. And thorn scrub is a really, really dense like forest, essentially, but it's short. So it's not really, really tall. Like There's not like redwoods. There's not like giant oak trees that you can just have a nice, lovely stroll under and like have a picnic under. This, These are like really tall bushes, essentially, and they all are covered in spines and are trying to hurt you i would say that's a pretty accurate that's a pretty accurate description <laughs> they uh really don't like it when people like if plants can feel things i'm i'm gonna go ahead and uh, anthropomorphize them for a second they don't want you there they don't want you yeah. all up in their business they don't want you to know their thorn scrub secrets it's, it's very <laughs> difficult to walk through there there are many secrets in the thorn scrub there are one of them is the ocelot yeah. um, <laughs> best kept secret 
best kept secret, and maybe perhaps the jackarundi. Just kidding. It's probably not there anymore. What about the jackalope? The jackalope? Um, I haven't seen any jackalopes. I have heard some encouraging stories about some reintroduction programs okay. a little bit to the north that are being very successful. We can go back into that another day. What about the jack-o'-lantern? Um, I haven't seen any jack-o'-lanterns. I don't know if they're native. Uh, shame. They might not be native. Jackalopes, jack-o'-lanterns, getting back to why this is important for habitat. Okay, so this is really important because roads uh, often intersect straight through really nice habitat. And I don't know if you've noticed, but there are roads absolutely everywhere. So more than 1% of the continental U.S. is covered with roads. 1%. What does that look like in terms of area? Do you know? Hundreds and hundreds of square miles of just asphalt. Probably more than hundreds. It's, yeah, it's more than hundreds of thousands. Yeah. If not millions. It's probably millions. Billions! No, I'm just millions. kidding. I don't probably know why I said that. Um, probably not, but... It's okay, we're not mathematicians, so it's fine. Yeah, I don't know. I'm an ecologist, really, so I just deal in percentages, and I'm like, oh, okay. Um, they intersect a lot of really good habitat, and sometimes animals aren't able to cross the road successfully, and they end up becoming roadkill. So sometimes it's not a very big deal if there's a ton of that species. Like, um, It's not a very big deal for raccoons. There are raccoons literally everywhere. Um, they are really adaptable and they can survive almost anywhere and they re- they have a lot of babies so they reproduce really quickly and they ca- their populations can rebound very quickly from any kind of mortality any kind of loss of individuals and then there are other species that they don't reproduce as quickly or they don't have enough habitat and mortalities for them are really really bad let's use the ocelot for an example there's like maybe 70 ocelots left in the U.S. So when one dies, when, when, when one gets hit by a car, that is a big deal because we just lost a substantial um, part of our population. It's not like where there's like 10,000 ocelots. Oh, we just lost one. That's not a big deal. If you lose one and you have 70 or you have 50, like some estimates think that we have 50, you just lost two percent of your population right there a quick tangent real real quick uh less than one or so you said one percent that in the contiguous united states that's roughly three million square miles three million square miles wow yeah three million wow, square miles of road if you can imagine a lot of cities yeah it's a lot of cities a lot of highways if you were to combine them all that's a lot um and it's not and because it's a web it has a wider impact than if it was just one patch. Like if it was just the state of Wyoming, it wouldn't have as much of an impact as it does now because like, you know, you just have that one dead zone and then everything else would be fine. But because it's a web, the road network is a web over the earth. It's affecting everything. And the roads affect um, road mortality. They sometimes prevent animals from crossing because they get hit or because the roads are so, so trafficy, so high speed, so like high volume traffic that the animals will not even attempt to cross. And part of that is because some animals are very, very sensitive to noise. So the noise from the road can reach at least a kilometer into the uh, surrounding habitat. And there have been documented uh, changes in animal behavior a kilometer in to the natural habitat from the road 
and the road noise itself. So we have a larger impact because, okay, so I said a kilometer, so that's, um, let's, let's put that in miles um, because I'm in science and I think in metric when I science. Guys, how much is a, a kilometer in miles? It's like what? Like, it's like a, like a third? No, that's not right. It's, that's um, not right. one kilometer is 0.62 miles. There it is. It's yep. two thirds of a mile. <laughs> <laughs> I was wrong. Sorry. I tried. I got the third part right. We're, we're all still Americans, more or less, not Kathleen, but the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. Um, I may have just Googled it. I may have just Googled it, so it's fine. Okay, but let's talk about how growing up American and then going into science, I think about science things and metric pretty much exclusively. Really? But normal people things, I think about in standard. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. That's fair. And I, And they don't connect a whole lot, and it's very frustrating for me. But anyways, um, we can talk about it after the podcast. If you want to have a, we can talk about it after. The if we need to decompress and process, we can. Oh talk my gosh, about it. stop! So, anyways, because it's a web and because it has an effect of two thirds of a mile on either side of the road, that is a huge, huge area of the U.S. that is affected by, like, just using the U.S. as an example. That is affected by these roads. You said two thirds of every, so two thirds of a mile off of these roads in either direction. Yeah, on either direction. And either, so if we had three million, um, let me just let me just do three million ro- time multiply that. So it'd be like four and a half, four five million basically, five million square miles more or less would be affected if we were to assume that that held true for everything right yeah wow that's incredible that's a lot of numbers that's a lot of zeros a lot of zeros a lot of zeros that is that's larger than some of our states that we have yeah so that's why it's really important it's really important work um it's part of the reason why i fell in love with it a little bit because though it's honestly a little bit emotionally taxing because i love animals a lot to see you know just literally hundreds of dead animals and i have documents I have folders on my computer that it's straight up dead animals. I have hundreds and hundreds of photos of just dead animals. It's emotionally taxing, but it's something that's worthwhile because this is a real conservation concern. And this is something that we can we can actually make an impact on because we're only going to build more roads. We're not going to get rid of roads. That and that's not on the cards. That's not feasible. So the more that we learn about roads and how they affect animals and what we can do to lessen the effect or to mitigate the effect, which mitigate essentially means um, to lessen the effect, the more we learn, the better it can be and the better roads that we can build so that some of the newer roads have less of an effect or they have cross animal crossings built into them which are sometimes bridges over the road so the animals can walk over the road safely and then sometimes it's also a facebook app game yeah it's important (laughs) it's important and sometimes it's a tunnel under the road so that the animals can go under different animals like different different methods of crossing based on what they find comfortable and also their size because you're not going to get a moose that's going to walk under a road Moose are very, very large, from what I understand. Especially the South Texan moose. Oh my gosh, there's no South Texas. <laughs> it's really important, and it's something that 
actually everyone can be involved in, especially if you are a nerd or really enjoy nature. You can use the iNaturalist app. You can report any animal or any plant species that you find. And you can also do that for roadkill as well. That would help state agencies and other, and like the government and like uh, United States Department of Transportation. They can help them see like where there are certain hotspots. And especially if you have found a endangered animal, like let's say in Florida, it's a Florida panther. Yeah, um, you need to call somebody. You need to put that on iNaturalist. And then also call someone because that's important to know where that happened because like the ocelots, they are greatly affected by road mortality. Yeah, and if you don't know who to call if you accidentally hit an animal or if you find one on the side of the road, you can call even just your local police station. They will direct you to which phone line to use so that you can report this. Or you can Google roadkill mortality contact information. Or rangers or the warden, the wildlife wardens whatever you call them in your state or country. I highly suggest doing that, especially if um, the animal's still alive, because sometimes they can be saved and rehabilitated. That's fully true, yeah. I used to work at a wildlife rehab center in Connecticut, and we sometimes would get animals brought in that were hit by a car, and we were able to rehabilitate it back to full 100% life. Nice. Yeah, I've seen it. Um, I helped rescue a tortoise one time um, while I was on survey in South Texas, actually. So we took it to the zoo because that's the animal rehab center in South Texas, the uh, Gladys Porter Zoo, which if you're ever in Brownsville, Texas, I highly recommend it. It's a great zoo, great people. Check it out. It's also the birthplace of Harambe. But anyways, let's not get into that. Now that I opened that can of worms, they were able to fix it up a little bit and I got to return it to the wild where I found it, which is really cool. That's really cool. And also, um, side note, obviously I'm doing marine research, so this is why I bring this up. But the same is true if you are driving a boat and you accidentally hit an animal. It can happen. There are boat scarred turtles, for example, can get hit, or dolphins or whatnot. Same thing. Manatees in Florida. Manatees. Get your local hotline and call and t- and report it so that they can then hopefully bring the animal back and get rehabilitated properly. Absolutely. The sooner you report, the quicker it'll happen. Absolutely. And if you're just on the beach and you see something, like yeah. a stranded turtle or um, whale, which I learned that the difference between a stranded and a beached whale is that the stranded whale is alive. Oh, interesting. But beached is not alive. Pro tip, don't run them over with your car. Pro tip. Please don't. Yeah. Yeah. Also, probably just don't drive your car on the beach, but whatever. Yeah. So this is a follow-up question. What if, so an animal is dead on the side of the road, and you call authorities, if they think it might be alive, they might go check it out. Mm-hmm. But what happens to roadkill? Do they clean it up? Do they mark it? Do they just leave it to its natural elements? What happens to roadkill? It depends. Uh, it depends on what animal it is, actually. And it also depends if anyone's doing research. So sometimes if a government agency is doing research, they will mark the carcass, the body of the dead animal, with spray paint by putting an X through it or a circle around it. So that means it's already been counted so that they don't have to worry about um, counting that mortality ever again whenever they drive by. And then they just leave it there so that um, scavengers can continue to eat it because that is actually an important part of the ecosystem, our scavengers. They do need something to eat. 
And one of the weird side benefits of having road mortalities is that our scavenger species do pretty well because they have quite a, a smorgasbord sometimes, if you will. What's an example of a scavenger species? Okay, so most carnivores are actually, they will scavenge a little bit. So coyotes will scavenge, bobcats will scavenge a little bit, cats seem to be, tend to be a little bit more picky, so they'll probably go for more the fresh, uh, the fresh kill. Um, a lot of birds are scavengers, so off the top of my head, bald eagles, crested caracara, black vulture, turkey vulture, condors, any kind of condor. So the one in America would be, or the United States, I mean, I apologize, South America, would be the California condor. But lots of, lots of birds will scavenge things off the side of the road because, you know, why uh, expend energy hunting something when you can just go to Publix and pick it up, which their Publix is the road because there's always something dead there. Which brings us back to the fact that as a human, you can get roadkill permit and you are allowed to collect some of the roadkill animals and eat them. Yep. Yeah, if you're, you know, it might be worth doing before the holidays so that if you're in a pinch, you just drive around for a little bit and, <laughs> you know. True. Twice baked potato, try twice baked ham. Oh my gosh. Tenderized quail. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's called aged, aged quail. Sorry. If you um, are interested in doing that, I believe it's a hunting, it's similar to a hunting license. So you would contact your uh, local fish and wildlife uh, agency. And some states only allow people within certain, essentially, tax brackets to harvest roadkill. If you happen to be on the lower income side, you're more likely to be able to get this because they want you to be able to have access to meat and protein. But they also will, you know, want you to not collect something that's totally rotten. Sun-dried pheasant. Your, your nose will normally tell you if it's okay to eat or not. And if there's maggots in it, it's a no-go. I heard of a guy that lived locally that he would collect deer and process them for an orphanage when we still really had those in the U.S. So that's one positive way to use roadkill. And then I also, one of our friends, uh, we have a good friend named Heather, and she's a wonderful person and hopefully will be a, a guest on our podcast at some point. But I believe it was her uncle was on a road trip with his friends and he funded the road trip by skinning roadkill animals and selling the furs to furriers and that's probably the only sustainable ethical way that i can really think of to um collect furs and then give them to a furrier wow yeah that was hilarious the many things you can do with a discarded carcass Oh, yeah. You can do all kinds of stuff. Honestly, Americans can be pretty wasteful with carcasses because we don't eat all of the meat and we don't use all of the bones or the fur or stuff like that. And there's uses for these things. And we have essentially gotten too rich to do that, to use every single part of it. What you're telling me is you have a book idea. What I'm telling you is that Max Pons, um, a good friend of mine, <laughs> and I, well, he would really write the book and I would probably write the foreword because he did That's an actual true. legit project on eating wild animals and how to cook them. Well then, perfect. So I'm sure he has that somewhere. I think he has a skunk soup recipe. Oh, perfect. Wonderful. 
Well, be sure to add that one to the next year's uh, Christmas menu then. Yeah, for sure. Just kidding. I will not be doing that. That sounds terrible. But I also don't really eat meat so often, so... That's really interesting, Trin. Thanks for sharing sharing about your research. That's It was a lot of hard work. A lot of days spent out on the side of a road. Oh my gosh, yes. A lot of driving. Are you glad it's over? Yes and no. There are some things that I really miss about it. Because I got to see a lot of really cool things, a lot of really beautiful things. Um, just driving, especially if we were really early in the morning or later in the evening and you could just see all kinds of different animals and I miss seeing one of my favorite birds, the crested caracara. They're so pretty. I used to see them all the time and we have them here in Florida, but they're really rare. So I haven't seen one in like a year and I'm jonesing. Yeah, jonesing for a for a little caracara. A little crested caracara action. A little crested caracara. Mexican eagle. <laughs> cool. Well that uh that about does it for us today. Am I right, guys? Yeah. Yeah. Big thanks to Trinity for uh, opening up, telling us a little bit about the roadkill. Uh, hopefully our listeners learned something new, something they didn't know about what roads do, the impact they have on our environment, as well as what you can do if you hit or see something get hit or pass by something that might need to get picked up. Like Kathleen said, there's usually hotlines Texas Parks and Wildlife would know, uh, perhaps the Gladys Porter Zoo, uh, if you're in South Texas. If not, a little Google search, a little googly goog should do the trick. In fact, that's how most of us grad students are uh, getting through our theses and dissertations, is with the help of Dr. Google. No lie. No lie. No lie. It's not just you. It's everyone. It's everyone. All right. So thank you so much. Thank you, Trent. Oh, thanks, guys. I... And always enjoy doing this with y'all. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions, you can hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. We are the Graduate SciComm podcast. And I would love to hear from you guys if you have any questions. And I can always go a little bit more in depth on any of the science things if you want. But prepare yourself. Yeah, she might get real sciencey with the roadkill. Like real sciencey. Real sciencey, especially with them, their statistics. Yeah, we could record a whole podcast on the statistics that you use for your project. I absolutely can. I was really glad we didn't get into that because I didn't want to. Yeah, yeah, I wanted <laughs> to avoid that. Hardcore. Um, maybe that'll be later. But thank you guys so much. Please join us next time. I'm not sure what we're going to be doing, but we'll get to you as soon as we can. And happy new year. Happy new year. Should we give the Should we give our audience one move? Just just a one a new move for the new year. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. You're on the count. Do you want to do it on the count of three? Yeah. Or <laughs> count of three. One. All right. Two. Three. Moo. Moo. Well, farewell, everyone. Have a great new year and be safe, everyone. And learn well. Yeah. And always look both ways before crossing the road. One hundred percent. I don't want to find you. <laughs>